talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to. Boy, I missed that song. And I'll tell you why in a second, but welcome to episode nine of Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Do me a favor. Go to patreon.com slash Kurt and look around and see what you get because it's pretty cool. And from what I understand, my producers are telling me there's negotiations going on for the wine. So stay tuned. Keep looking at Patreon and see what you see. The reason I said I missed that song is because it's been a couple of weeks since I've been with you, and I apologize for that. But I had a devastating flood in my house, and I got to tell you, I don't wish it on anybody, but I haven't been able to get out to do anything because of all the moving, all the contractors, all the insurance stuff, all the bank stuff, all kinds of things that have to be done in this situation. But enough of that. Because I've got to ask you a question. If you could have on your own podcast, and I've been contemplating having a co-host on this show. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start picking a Patreon subscriber to be a co-host with me on this show in the future. So I'm going to ask you, if you had an opportunity to interview number three, Who would it be? Well, I got to tell you, I'm very excited to have this guy on this show, especially two weeks before what's going to happen to him. And it's a pleasure to welcome a guy that I call a friend, a peer that I played against, and a guy that was one heck of a major league player, and it's going to be proven in two weeks in Cooperstown, New York, when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame, Alan Trammell. Welcome to the show. Well, Kirk, thank you for that introduction. That's awfully nice. Uh, very. Uh, I did not know about the, the problems at the house, but boy, though that uh, that's a pain in the you know what. But, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, we've had problems like that over the years. But nevertheless, Kurt, thank you for having me uh, again. Uh, a lot of stuff. It's been a good hectic for me this year. Um, I can't believe that. Uh, uh, the summer is already upon us, and uh, the Hall of Fame induction is around the corner. You know, you're probably the wrong guy to ask because I'm not going to get a David Wells answer from you. But in the 15 years that you were overlooked, was there a time where the votes came in and you said, you know what, those guys are idiots? Um, you know what? Uh, that never happened. And I think, again, just to, just to kind of to tell the viewers – Kind of how, from 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 my perspective, you know, after the first couple of years, I think when you first saw on the ballot, you're obviously excited, but when you see the total of votes, and for you know a number of years, you're kind of in a in a uh, in a range where I was, you know, 20, 25 percent. You know, that's a that's a long ways away from 75 percent. So it kind of tells you kind of where you where, where you're at, <clears throat> and so. You know, maybe the first few years I was a little bit disappointed, but after that, knowing where where those votes were, um, I, I was fine with that. And uh, I just kind of, uh, as the years went, I, I got a few more votes. The last year I was on it, I got the most that I had ever had. 
And then lo and behold, they, they started this new, they created this new uh, committee, and, uh, and I'm now in the modern era committee. And lo and behold, uh, they, they selected myself and my old teammate, Jack Moore. So I couldn't be happier. But to get back to what you kind of uh, had mentioned, I, I really didn't get that disappointed. I, I felt like, you know, I know that I was being recognized. A lot of people thought I was worthy, but obviously not enough. And so I was really okay with that. I was pissed off when I wasn't voted in. <laughs> what? How can you not be mad with the numbers what? you put up? And in yeah. modern, you know, you you make it sound like the only reason that you were voted in was because of this modern error committee. And granted, right. they did vote you in, but trust me, Alan Trammell was going to make it into Cooperstown one way or another, and it 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 took the modern error committee to do it. But he deserved it before then because I got to tell you. The analytics and sabermetrics and all of the numbers that have come out of everything that everybody's doing nowadays, I think really put you and, and some other guys, for that matter, at the forefront of, hey, how did we miss this? How did we not give this guy more votes? Or at least I sure as hell hope that that's the way they were thinking because we all know that those guys that vote for the Hall of Fame at times can be knuckleheads. But then well, in, in other times, they're really knuckleheads. And I think leading up to the Modern Era Committee really taking a good look at what the numbers were in comparison to – and I'm not even going to make a comparison to you and another player because I don't think it's fair. I know that's the way they do it. But I know that there were guys voted in on their third try and on their fourth try that your numbers are almost identical. And for you to go 15 without getting voted in is crazy, but – we won't beat that dead horse anymore. Let, let's talk about your uh, your partner in crime, as I'll call it. But it actually, it was criminal to other teams, but certainly not to the Detroit Tigers. And that was the double play combination of you and Lou Whitaker. Uh, you and Sweet Lou uh, played in the minor leagues a couple of games together before they paired you at the major league level. And you guys actually stayed together your entire career. We did, and I'm glad you brought that up because my uh, my partner gets no love, and uh, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but he was a heck of a player. And if you want to Google, if the, if the people out there, the, the, the listeners want to Google Lou Whitaker, they're going to find out that his numbers were pretty damn good, and he doesn't get any love. He was not um, the first year on the ballot. He didn't get the 5% to stay on the ballot, which is a crime. I have no idea why that happened. And I'm hoping that now that myself and my, my teammate Jack Morris are in, that you know, once we get in, that uh, maybe we can help, um, help the process in getting Lou on the ballot of the modern era and then go from there. And, and hopefully one of these days that he will be a part of this because I do believe that it's a great story. Uh, and I do believe that he is worthy of being a, a Hall of Famer as well. So, um, again, there's a few years. It's probably going to probably going to take a few years, Kurt. But I do believe that uh, that he is well well deserved and a heck of a part. We played together for over 19 years, uh, the longest running double play combination in the history of baseball. And we're talking about the history of baseball, longer than any two guys ever to have played. And we came up the exact same day to the major leagues. We got hits our first time up off the same pitcher 
And we actually got our last hits off the same picture as well. It's a it's a pretty incredible story. And, did you uh, really? I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> yeah, it, that is incredible. That is incredible. Uh, you know, so uh, again, the 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 story about Lou and I about playing all all those years together. Uh, you know what? We just went about our business, and you know, playing for Sparky Anderson. Our we were just you know team first. It was always team first. That's just how we were brought up. And we were confident in our ability, obviously, to play in the major leagues. you got to believe in yourself. But we just kind of went about our business. And, um, you know, it was always the, the both of us. It wasn't one or the other. It was always both. And that's – I don't know if how many uh, – too many people uh, that have ever played the game that could be known as, a, uh, as, as two, two together, uh, not one, but, but both of us. And uh, that's how it was for, for uh, Lou and me. I, I don't think – that there can be two other guys in history that did the same thing that you just said yeah. was done where you got your first hit and he got his first hit off the same pitcher and you got your last hit and he got his last hit <laughs> off the same pitcher. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. And again, it's just a, it's a, it's a great baseball story. And obviously the, the hall of fame is, is uh, has many stories and, and, and obviously all the history but if you look at both of us together and what we did, and, and we came up in an era that, you know, one of the things that probably hurt us to us, you know, now I, I think back, we were just playing, doing our jobs and having fun, but we were kind of at the forefront of kind of the numbers for middle infielders. And, uh, we, you know, you don't worry about it back then. Again, we were just doing what we, what we do. Um, but now, you know, obviously numbers are so big. And, you know, I'm not sure if it would have changed our play or not, but the fact is that would have been kind of thrown at us uh, uh, on a regular basis. But when we played, as you know, in our era, and we enjoyed our era, it was all about the team doing whatever it took to help the ball club win. And uh, I'm very thankful that we played in our era. Dirty Kurtz dugout. I'm Kurt Bavacqua along with Hall of Famer. Sounds pretty nice. Alan Trammell. And we're talking about him in his long time double play partner, Lou Whitaker. What is Lou doing now, Alan? Well, Lou is uh, now lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. He's from Martinsville, Virginia. So that's not, I think he told me it's approximately 90 miles uh, from where he grew up. And he just kind of lay low. He'll come into Detroit and he'll come down to spring training. But it's just kind of his style uh, has always been a little bit more uh, you know, taken kind of taken aback, never wanted the publicity, um, was confident in his ability, but just didn't, you know, kind of shied away from the media. And that might have hurt him as well as far as, you know, his vote total and all that, because all he wanted to do was play baseball. And uh, I might add, he was quite good at it. Boy, he sure was. Uh, you brought up your manager earlier, the Sparky Anderson, who I think sparked me on in the 84 World Series because <laughs> – um, as you might or might not know, I was with the Cincinnati Reds coming up through the through the minor leagues, and and Sparky uh, had the pleasure. I used to say at times of uh, making me the last cut in spring training, uh, two consecutive times, and that was during the Big Red Machine years. And the second time that I was cut, the second season that I went into spring training with the big club, I had really had a good spring. And I had hit third, fourth, and fifth in that big red machines lineup and, and had a really good spring. And I was the last player called in, number 26. And Sparky said something to me that to this day uh, I talk to my sons about if I speak uh, to 
young baseball players or anyone for that matter. Uh, he said, Kurt, I've got to go with experience. He goes, you did everything that we asked you to do, uh, but I've got to start the season with the guys that I won with last year. And I, I couldn't digest that at the time, but now looking back and with the experience that I have, and I'm sure you have, um, we knew exactly uh, what Sparky was talking about. And he asked you to do something in 1987 that I'm not sure if it didn't surprise you at the time, but he asked you to hit cleanup for that Tiger team. Were you expecting that? No, that caught me, that caught me totally off guard. And, um, you know, I'll say it today that I, I, I wasn't a cleanup hitter, but he explained to me and we, we had a great relationship and basically it was kind of like a father son relationship to be honest with you. But, uh, he felt confident enough in me that he liked to have a balanced lineup left, right, left, right. If, you know, if it, if you had the right personnel and going into 1987, we had lost Lance Parrish to free agency and he was our cleanup hitter for a number of years. So I used to hit second. So it was Lou, then it was myself, Kirk Gibson, and then Lance Parrish. And then number five was Daryl Evans. So he just kind of flip flopped. So he took me out of the second slot and put me in the fourth and he put another player up into the second, but he kept everybody else the same. And he persuaded me, he says, Cram, he says, I, I, I don't want you to change anything. I, I want you to be yourself. And I'm thinking to myself when this first happened, like, wait a second, you know, you're, you're thinking of the prototype cleanup guy, big guy, home run power, and this and that. And that certainly wasn't me. He goes, I don't want you to change anything. I just want you to understand that when situations come, which is really how the game is played, that there's cleanup hitters, even if you're not the cleanup hitter, if you come up with guys on base, you can be actually, you are the cleanup hitter, so to speak. So really what I'm saying is that that's what he kind of sold me. And what I found out as the, I don't know, when Lou and I were the first two hitters in the lineup, we were setting the table, getting on base for the three, four, and five hitters. So now I'm in the four spot, and the first two guys were getting on base, along with Gibby. They were getting on base. Now I had the opportunity to drive them in. There were guys on base all the time. And that's what I found out that, my gosh, I just had more opportunities to drive in runs. Um, I was able, what I call, ride the wave a little longer. Um, I just I stayed hotter a little longer than I had ever had in my career. And I also learned how to hit 3-0. and And I'm sure, as you did on certain occasions, there's times that you need to learn how to hit 3-0. and And I had never done that before. But there was times, especially with two outs, with runners in scoring position, and instead of, you know, the next guy coming up with a 0-0 count, I had him, you know, in a favorable count. He taught me that you need to learn how to hit 3-0. and And I did. Um, and, again, it was by far my best year career year as far as statistics. And we had a lot of fun. And we almost got to the World Series. We didn't. We came up a little short. But it was one heck of a year. And, uh, you know, I can look on that, that year on, on very fondly as well. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's never talked about is hitting 3-0 and and right. players' reluctancy to do so. Because they're really afraid. Because if you make an out make or swing at a bad they don't pitch, want to make an out. exactly. Right. So you really have to be selective. But that takes 
a manager that really believes in a player. And I got to tell you something. Not only you, you didn't just have a good year that year. You had a great year that year. You drove in 105 runs, and it wasn't just because there were men on second and third and you were hitting sack flies or hitting ground <laughs> balls to get an RBI. You had 205 hits and hit 243. Yeah. I mean, you became a number four hitter. Well, I, I did, and I did it for another year after that, and then uh, uh, we changed it up. But uh, I did for two years hit fourth. And again, that year, you know, it did, it, it, it worked. And, and uh, you know, it just another year that things went our way, even though that year Kirk, to be honest with you, in the middle of May, we were, I don't know if we were in last place, but we were around 10 games under 500. And at the end of the year, we, we won more ball games than anybody in baseball. We won, it was either 97 or 98 games. And we just went through this, and as you know, when we went into the clubhouse, and this is kind of the mindset, we said, okay, let's, we can't get it all back at once. Let's start winning series. Let's start winning series. Win two out of three. Win two out of three. You know, if you can win three out of four, if it's, if it's a four-game set, split two and two. But don't lose any series. And we went like three months without losing a series. And then the next thing you know, we're right up there, you know, with Toronto at that particular time. That's who we were going neck and neck with. And we went down, you know, for the last month, we went neck and neck. And, uh, you know, the last three games of the season were in Detroit. If we didn't win the last game of the season, we were going to have a playoff. We won the last game of the season one to nothing. And we clinched the pennant. And uh, we, you know, well, we won the division, excuse me. And then we ended up losing in the playoffs. But it was a heck of a year. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Was Daryl hitting behind you the whole year that year? Uh, he was. He was. Gibby was hitting three. I hit four, and Daryl Evans hitting five. That's two pretty good left-handed hitters behind me. And you know Daryl from from way back. And he uh, he was our he was our pops. He was our senior statesman. But he was a guy that got right up on the dish in the old Tiger Stadium with the with the you know right field porch. He, he loved that ballpark, and he used to hook some of those balls into the upper deck. And you know, and he was a big part of our ball club for a number of years there. And uh, you know, was just a, a he's a good friend, but a, was a heck of a player as well. Over 400 career home runs. Well, I tell you what, you have to cre- credit Daryl Evans for a lot of those stats that year. But just the same, that's the type of year that happens when a guy's in a lineup swinging a bat hot, and he's also got a guy hitting behind him that can do some damage to the other team. Well, there's no question they weren't going to walk me to get to Daryl, um, and so I was getting good pitches to hit. And you know what? I wasn't missing them that year. You know how sometimes some years you miss them or you foul them back and, and you're shaking your head and you're not going to get that same pitch again is that I was moving them. And uh, we know, and, and this is what we try to talk to the young hitters, is that when you get pitches that you need to move, you have to. I mean, if you miss those pitches and foul them back, you're probably not going to get another one. And uh, that's just the unfortunate part. But, you know, these guys are good. And um, you can't you can't afford to miss those things. So, that year, uh, you know, I was able to do that a little better than the other years. Well, I got to ask you one thing before I let you go. I appreciate you coming on. I know you're on the road. I know you're working for the Detroit Tigers. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you two quick things. Did you sign the kid that the last time I saw you, you were going up to see? No, um, <laughs> we did not. But that that player that we went went up to see was a uh, was was Bryce Terang, who was drafted in the first round. But the Tigers had the number one pick in the country, and we ended up drafting 
uh, Casey Mize, the pitcher out of Auburn, who really, when we went uh, down our draft board and I was part of this, he was by far the number one uh, player in the country. So uh, not to take anything away from Bryce Terang or any of the other players, um, but we had one one this year. That's not what you really want. Eric. You don't want to be the first pick in the country because that tells you the previous year you had the worst record, which we did. But uh, we we ended up going another direction. But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of good players out there. Bryce being one of them. But uh, you know, they had asked me to go up to uh, uh, to San Juan Capistrano. He was in a tournament to go there. So that was kind of a coincidental that we hooked up that day. But, Boy, uh, wasn't it? That was amazing. Uh, it, it sure was. But a, a, a nice player um, that was drafted in the first round, but uh, did not go one one. All right, I know you're still working on it. I know you're probably starting to get nervous. You probably haven't started to sweat yet. But <laughs> tell me what your opening line is going to be when you step up to the podium well, in Cooperstown. I'm not, I, I'm not sure. Well, I can tell you what the opening line is. It's going to be, thank you, Jane and Commissioner Manfred. Um, and that's, that's pretty much a, a standard for all of us. That uh, um, One of the questions, and I just for the viewers, because – when you see uh, or hear the introductions uh, to the Hall of Fame for the for the uh, football or even basketball, they have somebody introduce you. They don't do that anymore in baseball. So I've had many people ask me. I said, "Tram, who's gonna who's gonna introduce you?" And I said, "No, they don't introduce you anymore. It's Jane Clark, who is the chairman of the board of the Hall of Fame and the commissioner. They read your plaque." And then they say, and here is Alan Trammell. Here is Trevor Hoffman. And then you, you know, you go up to the dais and and uh, and and you give your speech. But there's nobody that introduces you, which is, I think, a lot of people still think that's kind of how it is. So, um, again, I've got my speech pretty much ready. I've had it done for quite a while. I've been kind of tweaking it a little here and there. Uh, but <laughs> you're not going to add live, huh? Nervous when you say nervous. Hey, everybody says the same thing. It's you're supposed to enjoy it, and we will. But it is a definitely nervous time, no question about it. Well, uh, a Kearney High graduate of San Diego in his whole life, a Detroit Tiger, his entire career. But still, I would imagine there's going to be quite a few Padre fans and baseball fans in Cooperstown, New York, cheering you on. Uh, Alan, I uh, I'm going to have goosebumps that day because uh, I love you as a person. Um, I love playing against you. You're a hell of a competitor, and uh, it was uh, it was a fun career. And boy, um, I sure feel good for you and and what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Well, Kurt, I appreciate that uh, very much, and uh, again, uh, very honored and humbled to be going in and uh, going in with a teammate of mine, Jack Morris, and then also San Diego's Trevor Hoffman. I told him quickly that I'll tell you this. I told him. <laughs> Hoffie, I said, when you go into the Hall of Fame, I'm going to be there. I told him this 15 years ago. Wow, that's awesome. And lo and behold, we're going in together. Is that awesome or what? That's pretty cool. <laughs> and you know that you know, cool. Lou's going to be out, out there looking at you. Oh, well, he's going to be there. We've talked numerous times. He's going to be there as well. But, yeah, it's going to be a great time. And Hoffie, as we know, is an awesome person and well-deserving, as they all are. But uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. Well, Enjoy every second, and uh, you and I will talk soon. Alan, thank you so much. My pleasure, Kurt. Take care. Thank you. Alan Trammell, be inducted in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame on July 27th. Wow.
That's quite an honor. You know, I, I walked into the studio to do the show tonight, and one of the reasons that I don't read the newspaper anymore, along with the fact that you could just see a lot of other stuff and read a lot of stuff uh, on your cell phone, is because of headlines. Ragtag bullpen bands together in triumph. That's what the headlines were in today's San Diego Union, where the Padres beat the Cardinals 4-2, to two, and they sent out their bullpen because they didn't have a starter. Now, here's the ragtag bullpen that evidently this, ra- this ragtime uh, headline writer was talking about. Uh, Strams got a 2-5 ERA. Simber, a 2-6. Stammen, a 2-3. Yates, 1.04. And Brad Hand, who is the Padre closer, along with Yates, is kind of working his way into it, has a 1-8-3. That's a ragtime bullpen? If it's a ragtime bullpen, I hate to see one that's really bad because this bullpen that the San Diego Padres has right now is doing one heck of a job. Episode 9, we're done with it. Dirty Kurt's Dugout, don't forget. Go to patreon.com slash Kurt Read all about it. Support us. You won't be sorry. And remember, I am going to start picking Patreon subscribers to co-host the show with me. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. We're talking baseball, Klazuski.